Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, as you can see on the monitors, the displays, we're continuing our study. No shock to most of you uh, in, in Exodus chapter 32. And uh, we, we opened uh, last week uh, Exodus 32, and uh, we kind of picked up. And so today what I'm going to do is just kind of give a, a quick, quick uh, recount of what we covered last week to allow us to kind of transition as Moses is coming down the mountain, okay? And what I'm praying this morning, and when Carrie said that as she was praying, um, I'm praying that God's Word would come alive to you. You know what I'm talking about? I pray that God's Word would come alive to you. This ain't just a Bible study. You know what I'm talking about? We're just not reading Scripture, but it would come alive, and uh, it would affect you in a manner that uh, is not just positive, but just uh, uh, revolutionary. You know what I'm talking about? Just completely derail you in a sense to, to take you off your own rails and place you on the rails of God and, and take you in a completely different direction. You know what I'm talking about, Jay? I'm talking about a revolutionary type experience. It's what I pray for me, and that's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for you, Miss Kathy, too. I pray that for each and every one of you this morning that as we work our way through this scripture, it's more than Bible 101. It's got to be more than that, right? And so I'm praying this morning along with Carrie that God's word comes alive. Amen? Amen. Okay, so uh, last week we had, we had opened up the scripture in Exodus chapter 32. And the, the way it began last week is that Moses had been on, on the mountain um, and he had been up there for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And the people got somewhat restless. And so the people ultimately come to uh, Aaron. Aaron and her were left basically in charge. They were going to be the authority. And uh, uh, the, the people come to, to Aaron, and the scripture says that they gathered around Aaron. And when we looked at the Hebrew, that word meant around, above, and on. So you almost got this sense that what was taking place with Aaron was this mob-type response. And we also touched on a few things that, uh, uh, because this activity shifted the hearts of the people of Israel, sometimes we believe that it was a, an, an enormous amount of people that were leading this revolt or this, this movement of disobedience towards God. Because what they wanted Aaron to do was to fashion them a God that they could see that could go ahead of them. But the reality is we know when you get to the end of chapter 32, uh, when God's justice is administered, we find out what the number is and who these people were. As a matter of fact, we find out through the scripture we read last week that these were men. These were fathers of uh, husbands. That's what the scripture says. As a matter of fact, uh, Aaron says to these individuals, these men, go to your wives, your sons, and your daughters, take from them their earrings, their jewelry, all that gold, and we're going to melt that gold down and we're going to fashion an idol. Now that's kind of paraphrased, but that's exactly what he said. He mentioned their wives, their sons, and daughters, so immediately we understand who he's talking to, right? Now if we were living in this culture, you may be confused, but living in that culture, it's clear who the identity of these individuals were. These were men. And when we get to the end of the scripture, we find out when God's justice is administered, it is 3,000 men who lose their lives. So when you consider a population of a roughly around 2.5 to 3 million people, 
And you consider it's 3,000 men who lead the heart of the nation astray. You're talking about one-tenth of a percent of the population that literally turned the hearts away from God. That's astounding. That is astounding. Now, let me flip that really quick and we'll move on. Let me say this so you'll understand the impact you can have. If one-tenth of a percent of the population can turn the hearts away from God, what then can you do under the power of the Spirit, under, under the influence of God's Word? You say, but I'm just a tenth of a percent. I'm just a fraction of the population. What if, though, you're under the influence of God's presence, power, and His Word? Do you think that you, too, could not be a vessel by which God could turn the heart of your family, the heart of your, your state, your community, your school, your workplace, your country, maybe even the world? You think that if you're willing to submit and surrender to live under that influence, that God couldn't use you? Amen. I'm telling you God can use you. If we're willing to come under that, under his word, his power, his direction, his influence. What happens in the scripture is that they end up taking all this jewelry and they make this golden calf, right? And the scripture says that Aaron basically fashions it with a tool. The next day, they end up uh, uh, performing sacrifices to it, worshiping it, and bowing down to it. And they go so far as to call the statue, and Aaron does this, he calls it the Lord, L-O-R-D. Check it out, man, read the scripture. After creating this, this, uh, uh, this calf or this bull, he says to them, tomorrow, after building an altar to this bull, Tomorrow we'll come and we'll sacrifice to the Lord. And last week I told you guys, listen man, we can call anything that we want to call the Lord. We can identify, we can, we can and, I, and I touched on it last week, we can say we, there's a lot of people out there who claim the name of Jesus, right? We know this. Muslims claim the name of Jesus, Different uh, uh, religious groups and, and with under cultic influences claim the name of Jesus. But it's a different Jesus. And they were doing the exact same thing there. They had an idol that they had established and in so doing, doing violated the first two commands of the covenant, right? They violated what? You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not what? Worship me in graven images? They violated the first two uh, covenant laws with the covenant God and still wanted to call the violation of the covenant God. They literally were violating his covenant and yet they wanted to call the violation Yahweh. Now isn't that a, a, just, a, just a preposterous notion that they would gather around this idol in complete and utter violation of his heart and his commands, and they would say to the idol, Yahweh. But when God identifies that and he says to Moses, this is what they've done, they've bowed down to it, they've worshipped it, right? And they've sacrificed to it. 
Though the people called it Yahweh, the Yahweh God of the Bible did not accept that worship because he knew that it was outside of the, the constraints in which he had established for proper worship. And so they were calling it God, but God wasn't receiving it as worship. And so you and I understand that proper and received worship is dependent upon not how my heart feels about it, not how I process it. It's how God has established worship to be expressed. It is based upon truth and it is based upon God's word. It's not based upon the most popular opinion. It's not based upon polls. It's not based upon uh, what is politically correct or incorrect. It's not based on any of those things. It's based on God's word. And so what ends up happening, all this is happening, and in this moment, God speaks to Moses. Now, remember, Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I will say this one more time. When he went up to the mountain, just like the people, he had no idea how long he was going to be up there. They didn't pack, you know, uh, lunch, uh, sack lunches. They didn't, they didn't have a picnic basket. He went up there to do business with God, to hear what God had to say, what God wanted to do, and there was no time limit. And all of a sudden, this thing starts to implode at the base of the mountain, man. And let me say this to you guys. They're literally within proximity of one another, maybe separated by a few hundred feet, possibly, to the extent that the people at the base of the mountain could see Moses enter into the cloud. They saw that. So they, Moses was not out of, uh, out of the reach of their sight. So understand that. So you've got people in a general vicinity of one another, experiencing two different things. And yet both would call the two things being experienced Yahweh. But only one was Yahweh. And that was the one that Moses had engaged in the cloud. Right? And so this is what's happening, man. There's a lot of turmoil, man. There's a lot of dis There's a lot of stuff happening at the base of the mountain, right? And so this is what the scripture says. And we're going to work our way through the scripture. That's who we are. We're a scripture church, right? Who, who are somebody had said of our church, we're too scriptury, right? We're the scriptury church. Okay, it's who we are. We're, we're we love the scripture because the scripture reveals Him. We love Him. I want to know more of him. I want to know more about him, Kelly. Right? Right? Okay. This is what it says. We're going to read these two verses. It says in verse 7 and 8, and you'll remember these from last week, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Remember, we touched on that last week. This wasn't God's rebuke of Moses. The people had already declared in verse 1 that it was Moses who had brought them out. And they had discredited and undermined the work of God and had accredited to the work of men. And in so doing, they're no longer accountable to God. We touched on that last week, right? It's the same thing that's happening in the progressive church in America. We discount the validity and the authority of God's word. We ascribe it to the craftiness of men. And in so doing then, we don't have to honor it. Men wrote that. So there's no real authority. We're doing the exact same thing. Okay, let's move on, Trent. We were there last week, right? All right. He says, whom 
you brought up out of Egypt. They have become corrupt. Listen to what he says. This is the Lord speaking, Yahweh. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. This wasn't something Moses had commanded them. What I had commanded them, right? And had made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and have said, in, in, in saying this, worshipped it, these are our gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. That's what the scripture said. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now that your spirit would just settle on this place. Speak through your word this morning. May I, may, may I find myself out of the way this morning that your word would speak to each of us, come alive to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. Amen. 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 Okay, Exodus 32, verse 9, and God says this, I have seen these people, important to understand, God sees what's going on, right? You and I both need to understand that, right? That's a legitimate biblical principle. That God isn't blind to the activities of our lives, to the needs of our lives, to the obedience in our life, even the disobedience of our life. God sees everything, right? And he goes on and he says this, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and they are a stiff-necked people. A stiff-necked people. The image that's being, that's being declared here when it says a stiff-necked people, these are a people who rise up and resist the yoke or the guidance or direction of God. It's like that animal, you know, who has the yoke on their neck, that ox, and you try to guide them right, and they stiffen their neck to go left. You try to guide them left, and they stiffen their neck against the yoke to go the opposite direction, right? They go right. And God is saying this about these people. These are people who do not want to be led, even though I'm a God who desires to lead them. Every one of us understands this, right? There's been points and times in our lives where we've all been a little stiff-necked, have we not? Right? I've been a, I know Danny Nichols has been stiff-necked, right? I can start calling you out, Gabe. Ben? Boy, all right. We've all had a tendency, have we not? Have we not? To kind of resist at times of, and, and present ourselves to God as, as one of opposition as God tries to lead us. And he's trying to lead us in a favorable way, Luis, and still we resist it, right? Because in our heart of hearts, sometimes we just don't want what's what, what, what good for us, right? We just, we resist it. Now, we remember in Matthew, right, uh, Jesus, in chapter 11, verse 28, verse 30, Jesus acknowledges this. He acknowledges it's just not Israel who is stiff-necked. This thing is ingrained in the human heart, this stiff-necked posture. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that I have the antidote for a stiff-necked individual. And this is what he says. He says, come to me. And if you'll allow me to paraphrase this, I believe he's saying basically, come to me, you stiff-necked people. And he says this, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, listen, upon you, allow this thing to fit and learn of me. Learn of me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is the yoke easy? 
Because if we're learning of him, that means we're going in the flow of the yoke. We're not resisting. And you'll find rest. Many times in the church, man, we're not finding real rest in our hearts and our spirits and our soul, Kevin, because we're bucking up against what God says. We'll gather in places like this, man. We'll worship, man. And I'm all down with worshiping. And, and we'll, we'll give and we'll, we'll do, and then we'll, we'll go out there and, and, and God will give us some direction. And then all of a sudden we'll buck up against it and we, we compromise ourselves regarding the obedience of God. And in so doing, we forfeit the peace that God desires to give us. You know this to be true. This isn't some great revelation I'm revealing to you. I'm just being honest and we know this. We know this. And then this is what he says to Moses. Now, we're about to get an image, a look into the heart of Moses, right? And I'm telling you, Jeremiah, there's times, man, I look at Moses, I'm like, yeah, yeah, Moses, that's a rough cat. And then there's other times I look at Moses, and I'm like, oh, to be like Moses, right? And it's not in the moments that you might think that I'm referring to. It's in a moment like this. And this is what God says to him. This is what God says. He says in, in verse 10, right here, or verse 9, he says, I have seen these people, the Lord said, and they are a stiff-necked people. And then he says, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then God says to Moses, check this out, then I will make you into a great nation. Now listen, man, wouldn't that appeal to you? If God says to you, listen, I'm done with these cats. Man, they're living their frivolous lives. I'm going to establish you as a great nation. Man, everyone is like, yeah, yeah. I, I want the favor of God on me. I want to move like that. But that's not the response of Moses. Moses chooses in this very moment to be an intercessor over promotion. Right? I don't know, man. I think there's something that's kind of uh, uh, unnatural about that because we all want to be promoted. But there's something supernatural about his desire to want to intercede as opposed to being promoted himself. Listen to what happens here. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Now, here's what's crazy. He seeks the favor of the Lord his God, not for himself. The promotion was already there, man. God was about to redo this thing. But he seeks the favor of the Lord his God. And he seeks the favor of the Lord on behalf of his brothers and sisters, even those who are disobedient. You and I should be doing this, right? We should be favor seekers. Not for promotion. Seeking the favor of God to intercede. To be rescuers. To be gap closers. It says, Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And he says, Lord, he said... Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? He seeks the favor of God by acknowledging the work of God in his life. 
and in the lives of the people. I think that's one of the things, that's one of the ways that we can seek and find ourselves covered in the favor of God, Greg, is when we acknowledge what God has done in our lives. When was the last time, I'm being completely honest, when was the last time, rhetorical in, in, in the nature of this question, so I don't need 75 people responding to me, you can do it after church, but rhetorical in that sense, when was the last time you literally took an inventory of your life and just said, Thank you, God, for the awesome works that you have done in my life. Most of the time, we run from crisis to crisis after God delivers us from one crisis instead of stopping on the, on the outskirts of that deliverance and just saying, before I go into the next hellhole, I want to stop for a minute and give God praise for delivering me out of that. Most of the time, we don't do that. We literally, in this schism in our heart and our minds, we leave this crisis without giving God praise. We jump immediately into the next crisis and we're saying, God, handle this. And when he handles that, we jump to the next. And when he handles that, we jump to the next. And all of a sudden, we have this litany of the work of God in our life, the, the, the resolving of crisis after crisis, yet it's not accompanied with any praise. Literally a trail. I'm talking Hansel and Gretel trail. Spiritual trail of deliverance after deliverance after deliverance. Absent of worship and absent of praise. Absent of glory. But man, the next time that next crisis comes up, where are you, God? You know? And Moses says to him, it was you. Even though the people want to say it was me, I know it wasn't me. Oh, and there's something there. And if sometimes, Kayla, we got to be honest. You ain't that good a coach, right? Kellen ain't that good a coach. So if he's got a good winning record, now he might go home and he say, it was my strategic measuring of this play or that play that led us to victory. Well, he knows that I know he ain't that good. And at some point in our lives, man, we just have to acknowledge you know what I'm talking? It wasn't by skill, craftiness, or all of my handiwork. Man, it was just a grace and favor of God on my life. I gave that guy a bunt signal. He swung away and hit a home run. I was giving him a high five when he came around third. That's grace. Right? And sometimes, man, we just we have to acknowledge that was God that did that. That was God working. And Moses says that, says, no, 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 no. It was your mighty hand that brought us out of Egypt. Right? That liberated us from slavery, right? And then he says this. Oh, man, this is one of those Moses moments, right? And he says to him, why should the Egyptians say, now remember, this is intercession. Remember, he's seeking the favor of the Lord. He's not accusing God. He's seeking the favor of God. Understand that. Contextualize that. He's not, this not, this isn't animus, animosity, it's not that. He's entreating God. He's reasoning in his own heart. He says, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. You know what Moses' chief concern was right there regarding the intercession for the people? You know what it's the honor of God. Isn't that beautiful? You know what he was saying? God, I don't want evil spoken of you. 
I don't want the Egyptians to rise up and lay claim to lies and fodder and accusations to say you didn't care about your children and you just led us out or to destroy us. I want to protect your name. Are our lives, are our lives being lived out in such a manner that we would say the choices that I'm making, I'm making to bring honor and to protect the honor of God. Right? Right? You're... But that was Moses. Right? He says, turn your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Do not bring disaster on your people. And this is what he says. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Israel. I love the fact that he didn't say Jacob. In that, in that setting, to whom you swore by yourself, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Forever. And here he is, seeking the favor of God, interceding, honoring God, and the basis for his intercession. The basis, the, the grounds by which he approaches God is God's goodness. He says, oh, God, I know you, right? I know you. I know what you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I know, what you, I know who you are. I know your character. I know your goodness. And that was what his request or his intercession was predicated on. Because he knew who God was, Jay. I have to ask this of myself. How good do I know God? I mean, God's revealing himself to us in his word. It's not that he's hiding from us. He's made himself known there. If I don't know him well, whose fault is that? Right? Right? I mean, right? He's, he's exposed himself for men to see. And Moses intercedes based on his knowledge of God. How do we intercede? What knowledge of God do you have? Do you have the knowledge of God that your mom taught you? Do you have the knowledge of God that grandma or grandpa taught you? Do you have the knowledge of God who your Sunday school teacher taught you, your seminary professor taught you? Do you have the knowledge of God whom, whom your, your men's group Bible study taught you? Who, who, where do you get your knowledge of God? I hope you get your knowledge of God from that scripture. That's how the knowledge of God grows in our hearts and our spirits when we see the revelation of who he is in the scripture. We see his goodness and his kindness. So we start to pray for our brothers and sisters and we pray from a position of knowing God's goodness. Knowing that God is not a God who desires to destroy them but to restore them and redeem them. And when I understand who God is, Amy, we begin to understand, we, we then have a much clearer picture of his heart and his working behind the scenes. All of a sudden, all these things that are vague and distorted become a lot clearer. And when we know God, we can look at certain things and say, that's not him. 
Believe me, that's important. And when we know God, we'll be able to recognize when it is Him. And then the scripture says this. Then the Lord relented, Nasham in the Hebrew. And it is translated in the Septuagint, which is the Greek rendering of the Old Testament. Obviously, the New Testament is rendered in Greek as well. So you're going to have words in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, and the New Testament using the same Greek words to identify particular expressions, words, and phrases, okay? Now listen to this. Nasham is the Hebrew word, and in the, the Greek Septuagint, it's hilas komei. Listen to this. When the scripture says the Lord relented, now some of you will have a translation to say, and the Lord changed his mind, right? Now when you understand this word, it kind of shades that differently. The word hiloskomei literally means this, to show kindness or compassion to one who does not deserve it. You know what that is? <laughs> Boy, it sounds a whole lot like Jesus, don't it? That sounds a whole lot like grace. That sounds a whole lot like mercy, doesn't it? I mean, that scripture literally could be rendered instead of saying, and the Lord relented, the Lord showed grace. As a matter of fact, the exact same word is used in Luke 18. Remember when Jesus is talking about the, the parable about the, the, the guy who thinks he's holy and then the sinner and how the holy guy comes into the temple and says, Oh God, I'm glad I'm not like that jacked up mess out there. You remember that, you remember that parable Jesus tells? And then Jesus tells the backside of that parable when he says the messed up tax collector the scourge of the earth comes in and the scourge of the earth says this. He beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man goes home justified. When he says, mercy, have mercy on me, it's hilas komei. It's the exact same word. That individual is crying out for the same word that is used in Exodus 32 when it talks about God relenting. That man is declaring in the hearing of Jesus. This is Jesus telling the story. He cried out for God's mercy. And that's the same mercy that God demonstrates and expresses in this moment. It is the same mercy that is expressed in your life each and every day, man. Each and every day. Psalms 106, verse 45, the psalmist writes about this account. And this is what he says. And for their sake, we could put us there, right? For their sake, he remembered his covenant. And out of his great love, he relented. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Did I not just say Moses' request was predicated on him knowing how good God was? And the psalmist said he responded out of his goodness, out of his great love. Stand with me, we'll close. No, I'm kidding. We're not. No. No. I couldn't close there. 
But we're only halfway through. No. Listen, we'll read this. Listen. Let's read verse 15 through 18. We're going to, we're going to read a large section here. It says, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. Catch this. This isn't, No drive-by here. We're just going to read this, but you take it. You hear it. With the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. No commentary needed. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, remember Joshua was with Moses. I'd said that, right? We knew that. Reading scripture, contextual, we understood that Joshua had ascended the mountain with Moses. Right? And so Joshua is descending with Moses. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Oh, man. Oh, if you only knew. And this is what the scripture says that you need to get this. If nothing else is received this morning, get this. And Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. Victory is desirable, right? Defeat is only temporary. So even in defeat as followers of God, that's just temporary. But when the scripture says, it is the sound of singing that I hear, oh no. It is the Hebrew word that means this, to testify together by course. Let me break it down to you. It means to harmonize. You know what Moses was saying? You could almost hear it, right? I wish it were victory. I'll even take defeat and all out loss. They went down swinging. They fought the good fight. They perished. Maybe it's defeat, but it's not even that. You know what he's saying? What I hear is that the people are harmonizing with the disobedience. They were literally in lock and step. They were a great choir choir hitting the perfect note, pitch perfect. And their harmony and their rebellion against God led by measly 3,000 men that they would allow the heart of an entire nation to be turned. In my life, Tara, in my life, Mandy, Janine, I'm going to pick out all the ladies, Lynn, Gabe. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you, Gabe. I love Gabe. Hey, man, I'm sorry, brother. Edit that off the podcast. Cut that out. Cut that out. In my heart, I know me. I know my struggles. I know the the battles, Ricky. I know the junk. 
I know where I've come from. I know the influences. I know what God has done through me or in me. Ricky, I promise you the desire of my heart this morning, man, and I'm just another dude like you are. I promise you the desire of my heart this morning is to never harmonize against God. It's to never sing in harmony with those who oppose the gospel, who resist the cross and the message of Jesus. I don't want my life to live in harmony with that. If I'm going to be off key, and those of you who have heard me sing, understand I'm off key. I want to be off key for God, Janine. I asked Carrie just this week, I said, Carrie, do you think if I started lessons? <laughs> if I started lessons now, I would be able to sing to some degree. And she looked at me, she loves me. She said, just stay in your lane and just preach. Just stay in your lane. But oh, I tell you, that's a heartbreaking image when you think Moses is coming down and what he hears is the harmony of disobedience. You know what that means? It means there's no fluctuation. There's no one off key. There's no one standing up saying, this is wrong! We're wrong! Have we forgotten? There's none of that. And what Moses hears is the harmony of the disobedience. Wow. Wow. And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, now listen to this. What Moses is about to see, he already knows. How does he know? God revealed it to him before he told him to go down, right? Right? We're tracking. We're tracking. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw tablets out of his hands. You remember who... These are the works of God written by the hand of God, right? Breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He saw it. And sometimes seeing it resonates so deep in your heart and in your spirit, it transcends just the thought of knowing something. I remember... The L.A. riots, I remember working at Mauser's Kitchen when the L.A. riots took place. and It was all built upon the abuse of, uh, thank you, history teacher. <laughs> Rodney King, you remember that? Why can't we all just get along, right? And I remember hearing the story, as you about this man who was pulled from his car and he was beaten by police. You remember, and this is just... A metaphor. I want you to get this. And I said, man, that's a horrible thing. And then I saw it. Oh, God. Seeing it and hearing it were two different things. Moses had seen it or heard it, and then he'd come down the mountain and he saw it. He saw it and it burned in him an anger to the extent that he takes the tablets of the covenant law and he destroys them at the foot of the mountains. You think that cat wasn't vexed in that moment? 
when his eyes saw it and his ears heard it. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Now remember, 3,000 men had turned the heart away from God. It took two men to turn their hearts back. Moses and Joshua. And Joshua wasn't a man to play around. He wasn't a man to play around. And when these two guys come down that mountain, the 3,000 are in trouble. This thing ain't going good. And this is what the scripture says. He ground up the golden calf, man. He ground that joker up. And you know what the scripture says? That he, he scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Now, I'm going to give you my take on this. Now, this isn't something I, I pull, pulled out of some theological book. I just want to give you my take on it, Kathy, okay? It's just, right, in a crazy brain from Buffalo, Kentucky. When I read this, I kind of, I, I see this. Moses takes the, the calf, he grinds that thing up into powder. He scatters it on the wor- on, onto the water that God had provided and he has the people consume it. And what I would say if I were standing there in Moses' position, in Joshua's, Joshua's position with their confidence, I'd say consume this God of yours. And on the other end of your experience, you're going to find out he's nothing but dung. Because it's coming out, Jack, to show itself to be absolutely worthless. Theology 101, Trent Evans Buffalo Seminary. Right? I can see this. The normal process runs its course. And God, or Moses may say, now go find your God amongst that. Moses and Joshua aren't messing around with this thing. They understand what's at stake. And we're going to close. We're going to close, I promise you. We're going to close right here. And this is what the scripture says. And he says to Aaron, what did these people do to you that, that you led them into such a great sin? Still holding Aaron accountable, regardless of what the excuse was. Man, we're good excuse makers, aren't we? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. Lord, small L, right, lowercase. You know how prone these people are to evil? He didn't ask about those people. He asked, what happened to you that you led them like this? Because ultimately he was still accountable, culpable. He was the leadership party. He was the authority. And old Aaron says, man, you know how these jokers are. You left me with a bunch of nut jobs out here. These jokers are crazy. Got a heart turned to You know how they are, Moses. You know how they are. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. They, they said they, they didn't know if you were coming back or not, Moses. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. That's not what he told them. 
Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came a calf. <laughs> you threw that gold in the fire, and the calf jumped out. Kind of like that. You know, it's like your kids, you know. When they're little, you know what I'm talking about. Did you clean your room? Yeah, sort of. What do you mean, sort of? Well, a corner of it's clean. The other three corners aren't because what was in that corner's there. You know what I'm talking And this is Aaron responding like, man, I, 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 it happened like this. The sad thing about Aaron, and this is it, we're, is that we make frivolous excuses just like that. Man, you know how many conversations I've had with people that have told me some of the most nonsensical things you've ever heard in your life? About why they don't trust God or why they can or why they can't walk with God or why this happens or why that happens. Why they're like this, why they respond. Everybody's got a thousand excuses. I mean, everybody. I was poor. I was raised in a housing project, drunk father. Crazy brothers and sisters and two of them are here today. You know what I'm talking about? violence, under the influence of drugs, everything. We've all got that, right? Every one of us got it. Every one of us have it. Everyone in this room has something that is legit. I mean legit. Legit excuse. But it's not justifying. It's not a justifying excuse. Because like myself and like many of you in here who have been through some pretty crazy stuff, God has shown himself able to do above and beyond anything we could think or ask, right? Right? You'll hear crazy stuff out there where people just don't want to own it, just like Aaron didn't want to own it. It's these people you left me with. You know, it's, it's, it's the crazy husband who says, right? And I remember my dad doing this. He would say, and, and it is what it is. Well, if your mother didn't make me so mad. And I remember as a little boy, I could sense it happening. And mom and dad would be kind of in a tussle. And my mom tussle with you now. I remember going in as a little boy, and I'd say stuff like, Mom, don't, don't, don't say anything. It's just going to get them upset. As though that was her fault, right? 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 That's an Aaron type thing, right? I do the things I do because things ain't been fair. I didn't get the same shake that someone else got. At the end of the day, it just don't, it just don't fly with God. And I'll tell you why. Because he's provided a way to escape, to escape 
the need for the many excuses. He's provided a way for the wounds to be healed. He's provided a way to bring you out. And I don't mean, it may not happen in 30 seconds. It may not happen in 30 minutes. It may be a process, but he's provided a way out. He desires to heal you. He desires to make you whole. To mend the broken things. He desires that. And so when you have a God who's standing there saying, I desire to mend the broken things, and you say, I'm the way I am because I'm broken, it doesn't fly. At times I wish it did, but it doesn't. It doesn't fly for me. It doesn't fly for you. And the benefit that you and I have today is that unlike Moses, who was a single man who interceded for a nation, we have a God, Yeshua, Amashiach, Christ the Lord, right? The Messiah, right? Right? Who intercedes for you and for me. On behalf of us and our brokenness and our wounds and our scars and all the ugly, he brings us, much like Moses did, to the feet of the Father, whom he knows loves us as a father would love us. Not to excuse us, but to heal us, right? And if Moses can do that for the nation of Israel, understand Jesus can do that for us. I'm going to read this first and we'll close it in prayer. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 20, Moses writes this. And this is what he says about this moment. Because we look at this cat, Aaron, and we're like, man, Aaron gets off pretty light, doesn't he? But it's not on his own merit he gets off pretty light. This is what the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 9, 20. And the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. Moses saw Aaron, and Moses railed that cat, man. He called him out. He busted him out. But at the end of it, he saw the image of God in Aaron, and he sought out the love of the Father, knowing that God would respond out of his great love. And mercy and grace was extended to one whom God was angry enough with to destroy. And his love tilted the scales in the direction of grace. And Aaron becomes what? The father of the entire priestly nation within Israel, the tribe of priests. This idolater, the one who had conceded, the one who, had, who lacked the spiritual spine, becomes the father of the priestly tribe that would represent God to the rest of the nation. That's the work of God's goodness, mercy, and grace.
and that's available to you like it's available to me. And so you and I leave this place today and we're going to have to reckon. There's a reckoning in our spirit. We have to deal with this. We have to ask ourselves, what are my excuses? What are the things that I'm putting out there, man, to try to justify me not walking this walk and following God? What is it? Because if Trent's right, the scripture's right, God can mend those things. Yeah. Stand with me this morning. In Jesus' name, stand with me. There will be decisions made as people leave this church this morning. There will be decisions made as people drive out of that parking lot. There will be decisions made this morning, even as, we're, as people stand where they're at right now, decisions are being made in the hearts of people. I would plead with you, plead with you, not to allow the excuses, the pressures, all those other things to keep you less than what God would have for you. This morning I would ask you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, that's no, no tomfoolery this morning, none of that stuff. With our heads bound, our eyes closed, enter into that prayer closet that I've spoken of on many times. When you close your eyes, you're there. You're in that prayer closet. It's just you and God. Tune out those behind and front to your left, right. And just be honest with God this morning. Just be honest. This ain't about your your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter. This is, this is about just you and him. You and him this morning. What are the things that you're allowing to stay in your life that have proven to be a barrier and they have expressed themselves over and over and over again? Why not lay those things down? Why not just lay those things down? Why not just lay those things down and just come on home? Just come on home. To a father who loves you, who wants to heal you, who wants to mend the brokenness and all those things, who wants to to forgive you and to cleanse you. Boy, today in your heart would be a good day to come home. So Father, in Jesus' name, we pray this morning. I pray, and I believe others here are praying. Fatigued with excuses. I'm so tired. So tired of these excuses. I'm so tired of being stiff necked and resisting you. Lord, I need that rest. I need that yoke that is easy. I need to learn from you. Lord, I'm tired of having a chafed neck. 
a chafed heart, a chafed spirit. I'm tired of that. I want to be moved by your word and your presence. I want to be that the daughter, that son of God who you, you've called me to be. I want to be that person. I want to walk in the fullness, Lord, of the truth of your word and the power of your spirit, a demonstration of the power of your spirit. I want to walk in that. I want to be that one-tenth of a percent. I want to be the Moses, the Joshua, in the sense that can be used by you in the truth of who you are to turn a heart, turn hearts back to you. I want to live that life. I want to bring you glory and honor. I want people to see, not me, but the, as your word says, Lord, in Matthew 5, 16, Lord, so it is, let your light so shine before men that they'd see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Oh, God, may that be the cries of our hearts, the longing, Lord, of our person to live that. Let our lives be convincing, and may we never harmonize with the excuses, with the shame, with the guilt, with the sin, with the things that oppose you. May that, may that stuff never find harmony in our lives. May it never. So, Father, as you speak to your sons and daughters this morning, as they cry out to you this morning, you hear them. You see it, just as your word said. You saw what they were. You hear them, and you'll respond to them to the young and the old alike, and everyone in between. You've come for us all. I believe that, Lord, that it is your will that none, none, none would perish. That is your will, not, not your will. And I pray, oh God, that that would express itself amongst the people here at TDC the Church of Jesus in E-Town, in Kentucky, in the United States, in this world. You are God and you are our King. And forever, Lord, we are thankful. We bless you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you.